Well, I asked Sophie to, to read Psalm 91. Now, I don't know if she did because we did have a little problem uh, at the beginning when we were, uh, she started. So I don't know if she must have read it first and then did the songs or, or what. But um, I haven't heard it read this morning, so I'm going to read it again. Just to, you know, it's, it's nice to read the word anyway, isn't it? just to uh, remind me uh, of what this amazing psalm is all about. So it's Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler, and you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone, and you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, and the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him, and I will set him on high. Because he has known my name, he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honour him. With long life I will satisfy him, and show him my salvation. Well, it's obvious from the messages I'm receiving at the bottom of the screen that Sophie did. Uh, read the scripts. I had no doubt that she did. Only we didn't hear it here, and perhaps others haven't heard it as well. So there's no harm done. Thank you so for doing that for me. Now it seems to me uh, that during this time of uh, uncertainty and fear that um, many people have actually found this psalm, Psalm 91, to be of great strength and comfort to them. I suppose it's true to say that Psalm 91 has been a, a firm favourite uh, of many people over over many years, you know, and um, I know my mother-in-law, it was her favourite psalm, whenever she wanted to read the scriptures, she would always choose uh, Psalm 91, and uh, in fact, Pauline has read the psalm out to me uh, on more than uh, more than 10 occasions since we've been sat down having breakfast, she's picked the Bible up and read Psalm 91. And so I thought that um, for the next few Sunday mornings, uh, we can go through the psalm together and see if we can glean even more comfort and strength from its amazing message. You know, it's a, it's a psalm, I would say, that we've all been able to relate to on on many levels and it speaks to us in most if not all our experiences of life but now of course in this climate that we are experiencing 
then it becomes even more uh, poignant, even more relevant uh, than ever before. So we're going to just go down through the psalm very, uh, very uh, sort of quietly uh, over the next few Sunday mornings and, uh, and see what God is saying to us through it. Now, before we continue, uh, you must notice two very important things that are conspicuous by their absence in this psalm. You know, if you, are, if you have your Bible in front of you, you will notice that there is no heading to the psalm. Now, um, when you look at your, your Bible in, in uh, the psalms, uh, you will notice that there are uh, headings that are in bold and there are headings that are in italics. And of course, the bold is actually the inspired word of God. And, uh, and it's missing in Psalm 91. So uh, we don't know uh, or we have no, con no, uh, no certainty to the context of the, in which the psalm was written. And secondly, we, neither do we know the author's name. You know, in most of the psalms, the author is mentioned. So we cannot be dogmatic as to who, he, uh, who actually wrote it. So we don't know why it was written, and we don't know who actually wrote it. You know, and of course that, in fact, could be of great benefit to us because... Its message and, of course, the lessons that we are able to learn from it become timeless. You know, they're not rooted in any one circumstance. They're not confined to any to the experience of any one person, and therefore can become for us personal encouragement in all our comings and goings. But having said that, there are a number of vital clues as to the identity of the psalmist, if we do uh, dig a little deeper. In fact, um, the Jewish scholars would say that when a psalm ha is not attributed to anyone, then it automatically belongs to the writer of the previous psalm. And if we was to go back to Psalm 90, we would notice that Moses wrote Psalm 90, and therefore um, the Jewish scholars would say that Moses uh, is responsible for Psalm 91. Well, if that follows, it also means that Moses is responsible for 91, 2, 3, 4, right up to 200. So he's cleaned up in the 90s. You know, and it's not until Psalm 101 when actually David comes and breaks the sequence. So these are, uh, these 10 Psalms are actually mo the Psalms of Moses. If we are to, uh, to go by the Jewish scholars. But what is more convincing is the content of the psalm because when you read it and think about it, it's so reminiscent of the testimony of Moses in the lead up to or even the aftermath of the plague of serpents. You know, we read about it in Numbers and we also read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 32. But look here in verse 5, it says, You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. And again in verse 13, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. You know, and if you compare that with the, the passage from Deuteronomy chapter 32, it's quite similar. Listen, I will heap disasters on them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by pestilence and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts 
with the poison of serpents of the dust, the sword shall destroy outside, and there shall be terror within. And so, if we want to, we can look at the psalm in the light of that sequence of events in uh, that happened in the wilderness journeyings. You know, uh, historically in, in the book of Numbers, and of course in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, another thing that's interesting about this psalm is the fact that when Satan um, tempted the Lord in Matthew chapter 4, it was the um, that passage of scripture in Deuteronomy that Jesus used to counter those temptations. Remember, Satan used Psalm 91, if you remember. He twisted the, the scriptures of Psalm 91 to try and tempt Jesus. Remember when he said the you know, to jump off the temple and um, and the angels would come and bear you up that your foot might not be dashed against a stone. You know, and it was Deuteronomy that Jesus actually used. He used the word of God. He says, thus it is written, and then he uses Deuteronomy, that passage, to counter Satan's uh, temptations. So I would say that there is, um, it's quite possible and very probable that the timeline for this psalm is Deuteronomy chapter 32 because you can just imagine Moses is preparing the children of Israel in Deuteronomy to enter into the promised land. He knows he's not going with them so the benefit of his experience will not go with them so he, he wants the benefit of his experience to be known before they go in. You want Deuteronomy is all about Moses passing on the experience that he had with God in order for the children of Israel to move into the promised land. You know, he takes them back over the 40 years of the, will, the wanderings in the wilderness, wilderness in order to set them off into the land with confidence in his God and an understanding of God's way. He says, look, this is how God dealt with us over these last 40 years, and I know that he will deal with you in exactly the same way when you get into the promised land. So that's what we, that's that's the sort of the context, if you like, of the psalm that we are looking at. It's a psalm of comfort, it's a psalm of preparation, it's a psalm of encouragement, knowing that what God has been in the past, he will be in the future. You and so we start off our psalm with this great statement of truth that Moses sets down and in fact the bedrock of the psalm is founded on this truth and it's a great statement to rest your faith upon. Listen to what it says. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You see, Moses, we know, he knew God. He knew his God. He'd met with him. He'd seen him. In fact, he had eaten with him. He'd communed with him. And he'd seen him at work. And he'd experienced his grace. You know, and so this statement of truth that we have at the beginning of this psalm is not some bland, lifeless doctrine that he'd learned in some theological school or he'd read in some dusty tome. No, this truth has been beaten out in the 
the furnace of experience. You know, and this is how God has revealed himself to Moses personally. From the burning bush, of course, that's where they met together in the burning bush. You know, and this is where God this, uh, described who he was and gave Moses an understanding of who he was. And then we see we can trace the footsteps of Moses from the burning bush through the, the, the terror of meeting up with Pharaoh across the Red Sea and, of course, through the burning desert. You know, and he's saying this is how God moved on behalf of Moses and behalf of the Israelites in the burning deserts. So this is a wonderful truth for us to stand on, as I said, to rest our faith upon the fact that he who dwells in the secret place will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now this first verse, this great statement of fact, I want us to just this morning realize three things from it. And firstly, I want us to see who it is that is doing the dwelling. Who it is. And it says, he who dwells. Now you can take that two ways, of course. You can be specific. You can say, it is he and only he who dwells will abide, which is right. You know, the security that we are seeing here isn't for everyone willy-nilly, whatever their attitude. It is exclusively for those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High. It is exclusively for those who have put their whole trust in uh, the Most High. You know, Sophie uh, sang this morning about the, the one who led us all the way, the one who did all things well. You know, and it's, it's the person who has put his whole life into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ that can benefit from the security that comes from that. And it's a very exclusive thing. It's only those who dwell. But then it goes, Ken, we can take it as universal because we can say, well, whoever he is, whoever he is, as long as he is dwelling, he'll abide, which again is right. You know, the blessing of abiding in the shadow of the Almighty is open to all. No one is barred. No one remains outside of the scope of God's grace. Again, we could go to John 3, 16, and we, hear, we see a, a similar uh, thought. Whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it's, a, it's an exclusive thing in that you have to um, abide under the shadow or dwell under the shadow before you can abide uh, with the Most High, or it is a universal thing. The scope is universal that anybody who comes to Christ and trusts him with his whole being will experience what Moses is talking about. Now Moses is talking to people who are already a part of God's family. And so it would suggest to me that Christians even though they are a part of the family, can actually miss out on the blessing of abiding. You see, this word dwells. It's quite a, an intimate word. And um, it knows nothing of coming and going. It knows nothing of visiting. It knows everything about sitting 
and reposing, of inhabiting, of staying. You know when it would suggest a lifestyle, a lifestyle of sitting at the feet of Jesus with rapt attention to his words, to his love, and to his grace. You know when I ask you the question this morning, is that your position in life? Are you one who dwells, or are you a visitor? Do you remain in communion, or do you go in and out? You know, in, is the feet of Jesus, is this your home, or is it some kind of weekend retreat? You see, God in his grace has shed his blood in order to welcome you into his presence, so continuous communion intimate fellowship, the glory of his presence, the utterance of mercy, the clothing of righteousness, and the sustenance of rich blessings are ours to enjoy continually. But many of us, so many of us, tend to just visit. You know, we tend to just follow afar off. We tend to think that we have to do something in order to qualify for such an intimate blessing or reach some standard or other. And we strive instead of dwell. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 3 says, Yes, he loves the people. He, and that word love there means to secrete in your heart. You see, it's intimate. It's intimate. He secretes his people into his heart. All his saints, he says, are in your hand. They sit down at your feet and receive your words. And that's the secret. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving his words. Do you know that so many Christians today are content with a, sound, a few sound bites here and there to gear them up for the Christian walk? When all the time, God has given us, graciously given us, his precious word. You know, and it's a big part of dwelling for the Christian, is getting to know his word. It is so rich. Its message is so gracious. And we all miss, I don't care who you are, I don't care how long you've been um, serving the Lord, I don't care how many worship songs you know, if you don't um, come to the word of God, then you will miss out on so much of the peace and joy and comfort and um, uh, security that God offers us because we simply scratch the surface of his word. You know, many Christians will say, well, as long as I know that Jesus loves me, that's enough for me. Well, let me tell you, it isn't enough for you. It's a good start. It's the best start. But God has gone to the trouble of providing us with so much more than mere sound bites. And it's foolishness not to try and find out exactly what God has actually done for us. You know, it's foolishness that we don't try to understand where we stand with him. You know, and that's the practicalities of dwelling in the secret place. I wonder, I'll ask you again, is this your place? Is this your home? 
Is this your habitation or are you a visitor? Or is it a weekend retreat? You know, let me tell you, in, in my experience, getting to know the Word has brought me closer to Christ than I've ever been before. And it's given me so much peace in my heart because I know exactly where I stand with Him. Now, that's the first thing. Secondly, now we can see the certainty of this blessing. And the words shall abide. You know, there's no ifs and buts. If you are dwelling, then you will abide. If you are dwelling, then you will abide. God told Joshua to continue in the word. Listen to what it says in Joshua chapter 1. Only be strong and very courageous in order that you may observe to do according to all the ways which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do to all that is written, according to all that is written, in it for then listen to that then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall have good success now as a as a pastor over uh, 35 years i've been i've seen so many christians struggle and fail and indeed personally i have at times when i've struggled myself you know and it's obvious so obvious that their struggle and my struggle was down to the fact that we didn't know where we stood with God because we hadn't taken time to find out from his word. You know, it's not rocket science, you know. You know, these verses from Joshua chapter 1 are so positive and yet they are so basic. If, then you will. If then you will, if you meditate upon my word day and night, then you will have success and you will be blessed and you will be prosperous. If you dwell, then you will abide. If you dwell, then you will abide. You know, and that's the principle that is worked out here in this psalm. The dweller will become the abide, abider, as day follows night, abiding follows dwelling. No, I hear so many Christians complaining that Satan is getting the better of them and he's spoiling their walk uh, with God and he's on their back and he's in their mind and he's, he's doing all these things to them and it's ruining their Christian life. But let me tell you, that's a symptom of not abiding, of not knowing who you are in Christ, not knowing what God has done for you. You know, and I can testify, you know, that when I was a, a younger Christian and I struggled and I had these problems, then I can testify that I had nothing at all to counter Satan's accusations with. You know, until I started to understand God's word for myself. 
You know, once I started to study God's word for myself, studied Galatians to realize that it's all by grace. I studied Ephesians to realize that God has got it all worked out. I studied Romans to understand that I'm justified by faith alone in Christ alone. You know, and there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, when these truths get into you, then Satan's accusations are like water off a duck's back. And instead of penetrating into the heart, and instead of dragging the Christian down, you know, we can ride roughshod over his accusations. And instead of ups and downs in the Christian life, we know where we are, we know who God is, and we know what he has done for us. You are now, like Jesus in Matthew 4, Whenever accusations come, I can counter them. Not with my feelings or try to be my stiff upper lip and try to sort of uh, go through it. No, I counter them with the word of God. With the word of God. You know, and, um, and then because of that, I began to abide. Abide, like in this psalm, you know, and the Hebrew would suggest that I started to stay the night. That's what it uh, that it what it means. I started to stay the night. So because I dwelt, then I'm abiding. And thirdly, and lastly, the shadow of the Almighty. Doesn't that sound absolutely wonderful? Doesn't it sound refreshing? Doesn't it sort of make you feel secure and safe? You know, I love the word Almighty, Shaddai. Shaddai. You know, it sort of wraps around you like a, like a comfort blanket. It's like being in the arms of someone who is so much stronger than you. You know, and I love this thought of being in his shadow. You know, and it, um, you have to forgive me, but it reminds me of a favorite verse of mine from Songs of Solomon, chapter 2. You know, and, uh, I, you know, whenever... I think of it being in the shadow of the Almighty. I always think of Songs of Solomon, chapter 2. It says, like an apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. You know, it's a, a perfect description of the blessings of abiding. The shade of the tree, the shade of the tree. You know when uh, the sun is blazing down, you know, and you, you get to the shade of a tree. It's absolutely fabulous. You know, and of course, our thoughts as Christians would, would go to a certain tree, a tree that has made all the difference to us, a tree that stands at the very center of history, a tree upon which our blessed Saviour shed his precious blood for the sins of the world. The tree that we know as the cross. It's the cross that has created for us the shade that we need. You know, we've been shielded against the wrath of Almighty God. You know, his dear only begotten Son has paid that awesome price for us and received in his own body the righteous judgment that we deserved 
And so now we no longer live under the condemnation of God, but we are reconciled to him in Christ. We are under the shade of the cross. You know, and there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we are shaded first and foremost from the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God. And therefore there is no trepidation, there is no foreboding when we think about God. His righteousness, His holiness is so far above ours. You know, and we are puny in comparison, but we need not fear because God holds nothing at all against us because in Christ we are as dear to Him as Jesus is. But also, when we think about the shade of the cross, we are shielded against the plans of Satan. You know, the place, the cross, the shadow of the cross, is the place where Satan's arrows are blunted, where his schemes are thwarted. You know, the place where he has no jurisdiction at all over my life. And as I said earlier, all his accusations are but water off a duck's back because each sin that he accuses me of has already been paid for by the precious blood of Christ. You know, and this is the shadow of the Almighty. But notice also in that uh, verse in <clears throat> the Songs of Solomon, excuse me, <coughs> Getting a bit excited but there. Notice also that there's fruit there as well. We enjoy his fruit. Or it says, his fruit was sweet to my taste. Sweet to my taste. I love, I, I love the scriptures and I love how it describes things. You know, and let's think about the fruit that we find that have fallen off this tree. No, we're under its shade. We're under its shade and the benefits of being under the shade of the cross is that we are in a place where the fruit falls from the tree and becomes ours. Of course, there's the fruit of righteousness. You know, in Christ we are as righteous as He is. You know, there's the fruit of peace. You know, there is no, there is uh, uh, no trepidation within us. We are at peace with God. We enjoy the peace of God that passes all understand it. Of course, there's security is why we were drawn to this psalm in the first place. That whatever happens to us, we are as secure as the glorified saints in heaven. Of course, there's love. Oh, the world needs love more than anything else. You know, and all the love that we can cope with is found under the shadow of this tree. Joy is there as well. Joy in abundance is there. And of course, what the world is looking for, satisfaction. Satisfaction. I thank God that he satisfies my soul. He satisfies my soul. And all this fruit... Of course, we can go to Galatians and see that this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. All this fruit that the world is, is seeking for and dying for is found at the foot of the cross. And it's there in abundance. You know, it's not one falling down and then we'll have to wait for years for another one. It's all there in abundance for us to enjoy. Once we dwell, then all this is ours. You know, but you have to stick close to the tree to reap 
the benefits of it shared. You know, in this country, I suppose, um, especially in the evenings, the shadow of the tree would um, would reach for yards and yards past the tree. But if you can imagine, in, in Israel, it's closer to the equator and the sun is almost on top. So the shade just falls below the tree. So we have to stick close to the tree. No, we have to stick close to the cross. To the cross. It's the cross. It's at the cross. At the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my soul rolled away. If you're going to reap the benefits of the shade of Calvary, then you have to stick to the cross. It's the cross that has done it all. It's accomplished. It is finished, was his cry. And there the cross stands as this colossus in our, in our lives. And of course, the fruit. The fruit comes through the cross as well. You know, it's not the cross and then plus works. It's not the cross and then plus this and plus that. It's the cross that embraces us and gives us everything that we need. You know, we stick close to the tree to reap the benefits of its shade and the fruit, which of course brings us back to where we started from. He who dwells in the secret place at the feet of Jesus, at the foot of the cross. You know, it's the, the, the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, we'll continue with our uh, look into Psalm 91, God willing, next Sunday. You know, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you in order that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Amen. Amen.